Amen. Well, if you have your Bible this morning, let's open it up to Luke chapter 10. We are going to finish up Luke 10 this morning by looking at verses 38 through 42. While you're turning there, let me just say good morning to each and every one of you. We are glad that you're here today, uh, glad that you are with us during this time of worship to make much of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to take the opportunity to sing that He truly is worthy, right? He's worthy of our love, He's worthy of our praise, He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy uh, because He loves us, right? I love that song, My Jesus, I Love Thee. And why do we love Him? Because He first loved us. And so we gather together today to sing of the Lord, to bring praises to Him because of His great love that's been manifested in our heart and life. And then as such, we in turn love Him because of that. And I love the picture of what we've just sung together, that we stand and think about this word, we stand in awe. And I, and I don't think we can ever forget the fact that what God has done and who God is and how He's revealed Himself to us ought to create awe, ought to create a marvel, a wonder in our heart and life because I think He truly is an awesome God that has done things that cause us just to stop with our mouth wide open, just in awe of who He is and how He has revealed Himself to us. And I think if we're not careful, uh, we lose our sense of awe of who God is. We lose a sense of awe of what God has done for us. And so I hope today that as we've sung, we didn't just sing words that were on a screen, but we sing today truly meaning this, that God, as we look at you, there is this awe that is created inside of us. As we think of your love that's been shown, as we think about your grace, your mercy, the fact that our sin debt has been forgiven, the fact that we truly are raised to walk in newness of life this morning, I hope that we truly are a people who are in awe today. So with that in mind, let me invite you just to bow your heads. Uh, we're going to just kind of ask God to bless this time of teaching of His Word. But also, let us pray in our heart today that God would stir a sense of awe in us. And that as we look in the Word, and as we look at how God is going to reveal Himself to us today, and what we're going to find there, that we truly would be captivated by God, by His majesty, by how He's revealed Himself to us in Jesus. And that truly today, we would find ourselves, as we're going to see, was in the life of Mary, mesmerized, just, just in awe of Jesus and wanting to sit there and spend time with Him. So Father in heaven, we come before you today thankful. Thankful that not only are we able to gather in this place, but God, together we gather as brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. We gather in this place today saints, those who have been forgiven, those who have been purchased with the shed blood of Jesus Christ, those who have been cleansed and forgiven of their sin, those who truly have been raised to walk in newness of life, those who have been set apart, those who have been chosen, those who have been, God, commissioned by you to be heralders, proclaimers, messengers of the gospel. And God, may that truth today and the truth that we're going to look at in your word, God, may it truly captivate us in such a way that there is genuine awe in our hearts and lives. God, forgive us of the times that we're able to gather in this place and, Father, see Yourself revealed in the Word and that singing songs about You, but, God, our heart is not truly captivated by You. And so, Father, today we ask that You would do what only You can do is, is break through the barriers and the layers of our heart, Lord, that at times get hardened. And, Father, that You would create inside of us heart that loves You, is devoted to You, and Father, as when it thinks about you, it thinks about you in terms of worship. Father, today, would you bless the teaching of your word? Father, would the words 
that we see today from Jesus truly change our hearts and lives. And Father, we ask these things in His perfect and precious name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we looked and saw that Jesus was, was praising God, that He had chosen to hide the things of, 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 of truth, the spiritual things from those who were wise or intelligent in the eyes of the world, and yet God was joyed to be able to deliver them, to present them to those who are like infants. And I told you that as we look at the rest of Mark chapter 10, I think that Luke is giving us some examples of what Jesus was talking about. Because last week we looked at this scribe, we looked at this lawyer, we looked at this one who full knew well the truth that was hidden in the law, yet was missing it. He was an expert, he was a studier, he was able to sit there for hours upon hours and explain and, and exposit what the law was all about, yet when Jesus was teaching, he missed the fact that the Son of God, the lawgiver, was right there in front of his face, and as such, wanted to test Jesus. And so Jesus, knowing all well, began just to kind of say, well, how do you see it? How do you read it? And basically what comes from that passage is we see that, that his heart is missing the truth that's there, and in an attempt to justify himself... He begins to give answers and wants to make excuses for why he lived and did things his way. And that is a description of the wise and the intelligent in this world whom even though they have understanding, fail to get to the heart of what the gospel is all about. They fail to get to the heart of who Jesus truly is and understand their need for Jesus and their willingness to repent of their sin and by faith turn to Him and pledge their life to Him and follow after Him. And so while He had all of this information revealed there and He was able to give answers uh, that would baffle many of us today, His answer proved that He did not truly understand what the Gospel was and what it was about. Well, what we're going to look at this morning is an example of a woman who is going to represent what I believe is the type of infancy that Jesus is talking about. This infancy that says, I have great need, that Jesus is the prize, that He is what I'm longing for, that religion or ritual or all of the good works that I could do are never going to suffice, and as such, I find myself sitting at the feet hanging on every word, basking in the presence of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I think we're seeing two contrasts here. We're seeing in this, this writing of Luke a contrast of those that were wise, intelligent by the world's eyes, to whom the gospel has been hidden to, and at the same time, those who are like infants who truly are grasping what the gospel is all about, and as such are finding what their reward is and what it will be. So here's what it says in verse 38. While they were traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now I want to stop here for just a moment and point out something that we've been looking at as we've worked through the Gospel of Luke together. But Jesus is breaking down barriers. Jesus is a revolutionary. Meaning that as He comes on the scene, the way He lives, the way that He teaches, the way that He does things, is turning things completely upside down. Or maybe to put it a better way, He's turning things right side up. What has happened in the Jewish history and culture is rather than them being a people who have been set apart by God, by God's grace and mercy, and called out to be the light that's going to be in the world, they have basically become a people of rules, of religion, and basically they have taken the good news of what God had set them apart to be and to understand and have relegated it nothing more than to empty religion and moral uh, duty and a host of things that has caused them to be far from the heart of God. 
And what we've seen that Jesus is able to do is He is able to turn things upside down in such a way that what all, all of a sudden He is revealing to them that God in heaven has a heart for people that don't look just like they do. And so an example that I would give you is that Jesus is able to reveal the fact that, that He's breaking down the barrier of social, uh, social stereotype. And so people who would be considered women of the city or tax collectors or sinners as they would call them, Jesus is revealing that, that God has a heart for those people and wants to, to reach out and save them. And guess why? That's good news. Because all of us, if we're being honest, find ourselves in that camp, right? We would all be in the camp of sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus is showing that He has a heart not just for those who are wise by the world's standards or who have been... Uh, uh, taught or studied in the highest uh, levels of education and religion in their time, but just the commoner that exists in the world today. Jesus says, I have a heart for people like that. If you don't believe me, just look at the 12 guys that follow me everywhere I go. None of them would be wise in your eyes. None of them would be those that would have been set apart by our religion, by our, our, our social structure, but, but I have a heart for people and men just like that. We see that Jesus was breaking down the, the cultural barriers that existed. And so he was proving that God's heart wasn't just for the devout Jew, but was for the Gentile as well. That any who would trust and believe in him could have everlasting life. And what we see in this passage is that Jesus once again is showing us that he's breaking down sexist barriers, if you will. And so one of the things that we talked about before, how it was uncommon for a rabbi like Jesus to have women who would have been in his inner circle, yet we see that, that many of the people that were supportive of Jesus' ministry and were being influenced by Jesus' ministry were, were women. And one of the things that we see here in this passage that as Jesus, this great rabbi, is traveling, he finds himself staying in the home of a woman. Now for us, you might say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, no self-respecting rabbi in Jesus' day would have gone to the home of a woman like this. He would have been looking for a devout man. He would have been looking for a well-known man because the, the better type of home he stayed in gave more cred, if you will, to the type of teacher that he was. And so no self-respecting Jewish man would say, yeah, I'll stay in the home of a woman. He'd have been looking for a man that had great persuasion or great following in that community, and that's where he would want to reside. And so we see that Jesus here is willing and wanting to stay in the home of Martha. Now this is the Martha that we know that we're going to see in John chapter 10, who had a sister by the name of Mary that's going to be revealed in the story, and is going to have a brother by the name of Lazarus that Jesus is going to raise from the dead. And as we follow the narratives that we find in the gospel, we're going to find that these three people were very close to Jesus, they were great supporters of Jesus' ministry, but also also were just great friends that Jesus had and that Jesus loved. And so he's coming to her home, and what we see has happened here in verse 39. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. So Jesus has gathered in the home. The 12 disciples are more than likely there and probably some others who have come. Uh, one of the things that we need to remember uh, that culturally people have very, been very welcoming to have people in their home. Not so much in our day and time, right? Uh, one of the things I read not long ago was just if you want to know how we've closed ourselves off to people in our modern culture, look at the size of a front porch. 
And if you look back at houses that were built back in, the, back in the past, you would see that normally the front porch was a big open place. Why? Because it was a sign of welcome. Come in. We want to entertain. We want to have you in our home. And in most of our homes now today, what? The front door, the front porch is very small. Uh, for a lot of reasons, we're very guarded about who we let in our home. We're very guarded about if we even answer the front door or not, right? Matter of fact, many of us with modern technology and doorbells that let us know is there is we now have the ability to pretend like we're not home better than ever before. Now, the problem is that a lot of times our car will be in the driveway, but we're still not going to answer the door. We had a friend come over just yesterday, and uh, my, my wife and I were gone, and, and part of it is a little bit safety, uh, but my kids were at home, and, and the person just kept knocking on the door like, I know you're in there, right? And finally, our kids, because of their persistence, went and looked and realized, oh, this is a friend of ours. I guess we'll let them in. But back in this time and culture, people were far more open to have people in their house to be hospitable in that way. And so Jesus is sitting down and teaching. And here we find the sister Mary is just sitting at his feet, listening to what he's teaching. Now, is this not childlike, right? I mean, if we think about it, what do kids love? That they love a story. Avery and I were in Barnes & Noble bookstore the other day. And in the kids area, guess what they have? They have this little platform sitting there with a chair for the person that's going to read the story. And then there's all these little benches and stuff that sit around the front. Why? Because it's a perfect arena for children who love just to sit and listen to a story. One of the things that I would do from time to time when I was in El Reno is I would get a phone call from a teacher and they said, hey, do you want to come read a book to our kids? And I said, sure. So I would head down to one of the elementary schools and same thing would be there, right? I would be sitting at a chair and all the kids would just be sitting around me and they would just sit there and listen as I read the story. It's a very childlike type posture that Jesus is sitting there teaching and Mary's just sitting there an adult, but like a child just soaking up every word. My daughter Adeline loves me to tell her stories at night before she goes to bed. And it's one of the few times that Adeline's like ever really quiet. Now every now and then, because of her personality, she will jump in the story and want me to tell it in a different way. She'll be like, no, no, dad, the monster did this. And then I'll have to uh, retell the story her way, or every now and then I'll say, no, it's not your story, it's my story, I'll tell you what the monster did. But nonetheless, she sits there, right, and she just wants to hear. And what's my point in this? I think this is a great picture of this infant-type heart, this childlike-type heart that we have to have when we're coming to Jesus, that he's sitting there, and here is Mary with all of these other activities going on, and we're going to see in a moment what her sister expected of her, but she's caught up in this moment of being with Jesus. And what a beautiful picture this is, that here, the greatest focus of her intention in this moment, or attention, excuse me, is focused directly at Jesus in such a way that we're going to see that her sister gets angry with her. Now, before we move on, I want us just to think, when was the last time that you remember just enjoying being in the presence of the Lord? And I don't want you to bypass that question. I want you to honestly think in your heart and life, like when was the last time that you can remember, whether it was in a worship service, whether it was at home and in a personal time of study, but when was the last time that you just got caught up just in awe, in wonder, mesmerized, just in love with this idea that, that the Lord, I'm just in your presence and that's enough. 
God, I'm just right there with you, and I can feel that you're close. You're a friend that sticks closer to a brother. And just in that moment, you said, you know what? This is enough. If, if this is all I got for the rest of my life, this is enough. Because in this moment, I'm seeing God for who he is. I'm enjoying the presence of God that Jesus has made possible for me. And today, I'm just sitting as a child, listening, enjoying, being there with Jesus. Because I think if we're not careful, what we're going to see is many of us are like Martha. And what we've made our religion, if you will, into is far more about busyness than it's far more about being in the presence of the Lord. And we're going to see that busyness is not always a bad thing, but it is a bad thing when busyness becomes the mode of our operation and thinking. And as such, we fail to truly grasp this reality. God saved us and has called us into his presence where now we can enjoy him and he is our prize in this world. Well, if you look at verse 39 again, we see there's a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha, the sister, the homeowner, was distracted by her many tasks, right? Now, before we give her a hard time, because we know the moral of this story, how many of us can, can identify with Martha? There's a lot to be done here. The Lord is in her home, right? I mean, the Son of God, the, the, the great rabbi, the great teacher, Jesus, is in her home, and she's got things to do, right? Because he just brought 12 smelly disciples with him. And, and that means now that we've got 13 people that need to be fed. It means that all of a sudden, I've got to get things in order to feed at least 13, and there's no telling else who stopped in the house. And so again, this is a hospitable type of community, and you don't just want to send people out without anything to drink or without anything to eat. And so now all of a sudden, she's like, man, I've got stuff to do. I've not only got to serve my Lord, but I need to do what the Bible tells me, right? Love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind and strength, and love my neighbor as myself. Jesus just taught on this. And so I've got all of these things that I need to do. And so she's doing and she's busy, but guess what? She keeps thinking in her mind, Mary, you're supposed to be helping me. Isn't it our job to serve? And, and you're another woman. This is our task, right? This is what we're supposed to be doing. And she keeps thinking, Mary, you're going to show up any moment now and you're going to help get the plates together. And I'm sure she's, she's starting to get to the point where she's not being quiet. She's kind of like, <clears throat> <clears throat> kind of coughing and, then, and trying to give those subtle hints that we have. And finally, all of a sudden, she reaches a moment. Look at what it says here. And she came up and asked, Lord, so she now references Jesus. She can't take it anymore. Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone, so tell her to give me a hand. She's tried to be patient. She's tried to give her sister some time. But now it's reached a point that she's the one doing all the heavy lifting and doing it all by herself. And she's had all she can handle. She, Mary's not listening to any of her hints. And so she's going to the top. Lord, would you tell her? To give me a hand. Don't you care? Look, look at what's going on here. I'm the only one doing for all of these people that are in my house. Now, one of the first things that I want us to see this morning is right here, and it starts in verse 40. But Martha was distracted. She's distracted. Now, why, why would Luke say that? I mean, is she not doing her job? Is that really distraction? And, and, and yes, what we're going to see is she is distracted because there's something of more importance in the house than the task that she's performing. Now, here's what we know, right? Serving is a good thing. 
Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the more we serve, the more we're going to be like Jesus, right? He didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. After Jesus washed his feet, one of the commands that he gave his disciples is now you go do the same. What's the message there? Just as I've served you, you go serve everyone else. And so the Bible makes it very clear. The greatest among you will serve, right? So, so this is not a problem that she's serving, The problem is that her serving has now become a distraction to worship. You see, serving is supposed to be worship. It's not just about duty. It's not just about getting the job done. It's not just about making sure things happen. Sure, that is a mechanism by which things happen. But the reason that God has called us to serve is that we might be like Jesus. And serving is an opportunity for you and I to worship as we're becoming more and more like Jesus and using the gifts that He's given us as an opportunity to bless Him and to bless other people. Here's where serving becomes a problem when all of a sudden serving becomes our focus and worship is no longer the focus. And here's why her serving is a problem. It's an opportunity to be in the presence of the Lord, but now she's distracted by getting things done. Now, there's several things I think we need to point out about Mary's attitude, or Martha's attitude here for a moment. Number one, she's bitter, right? She's angry. I mean, she's reached a point now where she's looking at the Lord and saying, Lord, do you even care what's going on? Tell her to get in here and help me. Now, here's what's very interesting in my 20 plus years of serving as a staff member in a church and then 43 years in a church. Some of the most busy people in the church are the most bitter people in the church. Some of the people who serve, I'm going to put that in quotation marks, the most. I mean, they're busy, always doing something. But if you've been around them for more than five minutes, they're the most bitter, cantankerous, angry people in the church. And here's the statistic they love to throw out. 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work. Now, I'm not debating that statistic, but I find it very interesting that people who serve a lot love to throw that out, which is what it tells me. Guess what? We become bitter in our serving. All of a sudden now, we've got a statistic to point out what other people aren't doing rather than seeing the serving as the opportunity for worship and what it's meant to be. How many times have you been around someone in the church who's always active, but they're always cranky? To which you want to say, if that's what serving is, I don't want any part of it. Sometimes this type of person says, yeah, nobody will ever want to come and help me. And I want to say, maybe it's because they don't like to be around you. Right? Who wants to go help someone who's cranky? Who wants to help someone who, as they're serving, is complaining the whole time, right? It's like someone working in the nursery and complaining there's a dirty diaper. What did you think you were going to get? What did you think was going to happen? That they were going to hold it for your hour that you were in there? I mean, come on. I mean, and to be honest with you, sometimes you want to look at that person and say, your attitude stinks worse than the diaper does because you're, you're making this situation a whole lot worse. And I'm not just picking on nursery workers, right? Because most of them are sweet and are happy to be in there. I'm picking on this reality that if we're not careful in our serving that we think is what God wants for us, we become very bitter and angry toward other people doing it, which is completely against the heart of what God has called us and how God's called us to serve. Well, look at this. Her her serving is not only bitter, but she's gotten bossy. Think about this. Lord, so she identifies him correctly, which let's give a definition of Lord. You're in control, but she doesn't think he's in control. Now she looks at the Lord and says, you tell her. 
She's kind of got things mixed up here a little bit, right? I mean, if he truly is the Lord, why is she telling him what to do? But guess what? We get disillusioned sometimes when we get this way. When all of a sudden we get emotional and things aren't going the way that we want to, we start speaking and saying things that we shouldn't say or in a way that we shouldn't say them. And so she's like, Lord, she gets very accusatory. Don't you even care? Well, of course I care, Martha. I'm in your home. Don't you know I could have been in somebody else's home? You know I care. Why? Because we've been friends for a long time. Of course I care. But guess what? When we get like this, all of a sudden we lose a little bit of touch of reality. And her lack of reality is being shown in a couple ways. First of all, she has the audacity to ask Jesus if he cares. Secondly, she has the audacity to ask, tell the Lord that he needs to tell somebody to do something. And so all of this, right, is caught up in this moment that if we're all being honest, we can get caught up in. We get frustrated. We get angry. Sometimes we, get, we use the term burnout, right? There's a lot of different expressions that we're going to lose. But here's the bottom line for it all, that we allow our distractions, our busyness, to get in the way of worship. Now, I'm going to bypass Martha for just a moment and speak to us in another way, right? At least Martha right here in this passage, for all the, 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 the heat we want to give her, at least she's serving and doing things for the Lord. Much of our distraction of worship has nothing to do with service. We are a distracted people. We are a people who wear busyness like a badge of honor. And it's really silly I mean, we somehow have managed in our culture today to get importance by how busy our calendar seems to be. And some of you just like make stuff up to put on your calendar that's not even real, but you just think it makes you look good when you show people all that you've got to do this week, like you fold out this calendar. Look at all that I've got to do. And you're like, you've got brushing your teeth on your calendar. Like, like that doesn't count. You, you've got snack on your calendar like that doesn't count that just means you're hungry it doesn't mean that you're busy but we have programmed ourselves to think that our importance is attached to our busyness so guess what that means it means that we want to try to program everything we do consistently that we don't think we have a moment to sit and we've talked about this before, but a lack of rest is not a good thing for God's people there is a reason why he's given us a sabbath and keeping yourself busy to the moment. Here's what I think for many of us it is. We love to keep ourselves distracted from weightier things. Because if you keep yourself busy all the time to where your mind's thinking about things that aren't that important, you don't have a lot of time to sit down and really think about what is important. Sometimes I think it's a way that we inebriate ourselves from the reality and the weight of life, that we're not dealing with weighty, true things. But here's the reality for many of us today. We miss out on being in the presence of God not because we're distracted by serving, just because we're distracted. I'm ready for the amen, right? Because we love to keep ourselves busy. We love to fill every waking moment we have. And this is why for some of us in this room, church is not a priority in our heart and life. Church is just something we do when we haven't scheduled something else on a Sunday. And you're missing out on the presence of the Lord. Now, now that person's going to follow this up with, I don't have to be at church to worship. And you're right, you can worship anywhere and everywhere you are, but you are called to be at church and worship. God's people are called to congregate. And that excuse is used by every person who doesn't make worship a priority. 
And here's how I know. Because if you truly are worshiping, it means you truly are going to love the things that Jesus loves. And if you love the things that Jesus loves, you're going to love the church because Jesus loves the church and gave himself for her. And so before you try to use the argument, well, I worship at other places, you're right, you can, but if you're not willing to worship with the people of God by whom God has called you to worship with, I'm going to seriously doubt that probably all the moments that you spend other places, you're really worshiping. Can I say something to offend you even a little bit more while I'm at it? Chances are you are worshiping. You're worshiping the thing you love, which is not the Lord. Since it's summer, let me hit on this. If you can be at the lake 20 weeks, maybe the thing you love is the lake. Just maybe, right? And and here's why I say that. Because I always manage to find time in my life to do what's important to me. You know what drives my decisions? What I love. That's what drives my decisions every day. The things that are important to me, the things that I value, the things that I love, like like that's what drives my decisions. And what I found in my life is I will always find time to put in there what's important for me. And so before we get on Martha, like, yeah, I can't believe Martha's sitting there not in the presence of Jesus when, she's, when he's in her house, and she's like serving and doing all of these things. Can I at least give her a little bit of credit that many of us don't get? At least her desire to serve has something to do with Jesus. She might be missing it, the big picture, but at least she's saying, I need to do something for him, rather than many of us who get distracted by just doing things for us. And so as such, I think one of the things that we need to do is really wonder and ask ourselves, like, why is it that I get so distracted? What are my many tasks that are getting in the way of me spending time in awe and in the presence of the Lord? So look at Jesus' response, right? Uh, Martha says, tell her to get to work. Tell her to come help me. The Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha. Now this isn't him being condescending. But it is him looking at her and saying, Martha, really? I don't care. You really want me to tell your sister, who's sitting here at my feet, understanding that Emmanuel, God with us, is in her presence, to go do what you're doing? Martha, maybe you need to quit doing what you're doing and you need to come sit for a while. We can help you with the dishes. Food can wait. Look at his response. You're worried and upset about many things. The word worried here is another word for anxious. Doesn't that resonate with us in our culture today? Anxious, anxiety. We are such an anxious people, right? Anxiety is just all over the place in our hearts and lives. You're so worried. You're so anxious. You're upset by many things. But look at this. But one thing is necessary. One thing's important. One thing right now is, is, the, is the primary focus. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken from her. Martha, I know what you want me to do, but I'm not going to do it. Why? Because here's a nice way of saying it. She made the right choice. You made the wrong choice. I'm not going to take it away from her. Now, now, now here's what I love, right? Uh, and we don't see it here clearly completely, but Mary has made the right choice. It literally could be translated this way. She has chosen the right portion. 
Now you might be like, well, that's a weird way to say it, but that's literally what it says here, right? Mary has chosen the right portion. Now, now here's why I find that very interesting. If you have your Bible, turn over to Psalm chapter 73 with me. One of my favorite Psalms in all of Scripture. And we're just going to start uh, in verse 25. Now keep in mind, again, Jesus said she's chosen the right portion. So, so, so listen to what Psalm 73 says. Verse 25, who do I have in heaven but you? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nobody, nothing, right? But God, there's nothing in heaven but you. And I desire nothing on earth but you, right? What a strong statement, man. My prayer is that I could get to where I could say that statement in a truthful way. There's nothing on earth, God, that I desire but you. And here's why that's such a hard statement, right? There are always things in your life and in my life that are battling for our affections. There's always things in your life and my life that are battling for our thought life. There's always things in your life and in my life that are battling for our physical time and our energy and all of these things. And the psalmist here in this moment says, Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. Oh, how sweet it would be if we as the covenant people of God would be able to say that line right there and it be true. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, look at this, and my portion forever. Another way to describe the word portion would be inheritance. Something that you cling to. And she looks and says, Jesus looks and says, Martha, Martha, you're distracted by your many tasks, but your sister, she's made the right choice. She's chosen the right portion. What's the right portion? She's chosen me. And I'm not going to take that away from her. Why? Because when it's all said and done and everything else is gone, that's all that's going to matter. Right? When the dust fades and the dust settles and this life that we've lived is all over, guess what's going to be the one thing that matters? Jesus, who is our portion. Now, why is that important? Because every day we have this battle going on in our life, vying for our affection, our attention, our energy, our money, our time. And what are we going to choose? Now, now, this isn't a call to say sit at home all day long and read your Bible, right? The Bible has given us far more commands without that. It's not a command to say, well, I'm just going to quit serving in the church and I'm just going to sit and listen all the time. No, that's not what the Bible's calling you to do. That's not what the Scripture is saying here. What it is saying, though, is this. With all of the things that are around us to, to steal, to distract us, here's a way to put it. What is your priority? Now, here's what many of us would say, right? Uh, God, family, and then we throw some things under after that. If you're in the military, you might have this saying that you would say of how you would prioritize that, right? Uh, what is it from a few good men, the Marines, unit corps, God, country, right? Uh, bottom line is, we have a list of priorities, and then we have a list of said priorities, but let's not look at the list of said priorities Let's look at the list of our true priorities. And let's ask ourselves the question, where does the Lord fit into that? 
parents, let's ask this hard question. If you were to look at your kids and say, kids, tell me what, your prior, what our priorities are, are my priorities as your parents are, what would they say? Now, now, don't threaten them with, you know what to say, right? Because they've heard you say what they're supposed to say. But if they were really to say, what is the priority of mom and dad? Because they're truthful little boogers. That's why we're terrified of what they say in the nursery, right? I mean, like, I got this running deal with every nursery worker that I've ever been a part of. I won't believe what they tell me about you if you don't believe what they tell me about, or you, they tell you about me, right? When I was a youth pastor, every parent meeting, I'd be like, listen, when this week is over, we'll make a deal. I won't believe everything they tell me about you this week while we're at camp, but when they get home, don't you believe everything they said about me either, right? Because, because they can fabricate a little bit, but, but they're truthful little boogers, and they've got no filter, and so sometimes it just comes out, right? I remember the first church I ever served at, there was this kid by the name of Maverick. Maverick was the loose cannon of loose cannons. I mean, he was this chubby little kid, and he rode his bike. I mean, he could have his own TV show. And, and Maverick would just say anything. He had no filter. And so the first, first time I ever met this kid, I'd been on staff for like a week, and Maverick shows up ringing my doorbell. And here comes this hot and sweaty, chubby little kid with his little posse that's, that's running with him, little biker gang that he's put together. And he gets talking to me, and his dad's a deacon in our church. And uh, his, his, he's talking to me, and all of a sudden he says, you got anything to drink? Because that's just Maverick, right? He just asked anybody. I said, sure, Maverick in the refrigerator, there's some drinks and stuff in there. And so I had some of the IBC root beers. And he walks in there and opens up my fridge real big. And he says, you've got beer in here? And I'm like, no, Maverick. I'm like, uh, those, those are root beers. He said, Deacon's kid reminds you, my dad drinks beer. My dad loves to eat pizza, drink beer when he's watching the fights. And I'm like, Maverick, you might not want to tell everybody that, right? I mean, I mean, and so my point is, I, truthful little boogers. If your kids were to look and say, here's the priority of our family, what would it be? Dad, if they were to look at you, how you spend your time, what would your kids say your priority is? Mom? Grandparents? Church in general? What are our distractions that are getting in the way of us being in the presence of the Lord? You know, some of us are good at doing good things. Martha was doing a good thing here, right? I mean, I'm not going to pick on what she was doing. I mean, if I'm one of the 12 disciples, I'm glad Martha's in there. I'm hungry. I'm glad someone's not just sitting there. If I was one of the 12 disciples, I'd be like, Martha, shut up and just make lunch, right? Just... Leave this alone because we're about to get a teaching moment and we just, we just want something to eat. Martha, many distractions. Mary, one thing is necessary. She's made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. A couple questions. And I want you to really think When was the last time you remember just being in the presence of the Lord?
And I want you real hard, I want you to try real hard not to parent adults. Well, there was this one time when I was in False Creek 25 years ago, right? Surely God has been working in your life since then. But, but if that be the case, what's that telling you? When was the last time that you looked and being in the presence of the Lord said, Jesus, you're my portion and you're enough? That's a hard question, isn't it? Because we know that that should be the answer and we know that should be the norm, the regular of our lives, but man, are we not easily distracted? I mean, some of us in this room, man, we can tell story after story after story of your service in the life of the church and how you've kept yourself busy doing all of these things for, for in your mind, the Lord and the people of the church. And, and we patted you on the back all along the way, but guess what you've been missing out on during that time? Moments of just being in the presence of the Lord. Because guess what happens sometimes? Our service becomes our God, not our Lord. I'm a staff member. I know that. That being busy for the Lord does not equate with worshiping the Lord. And now with that in mind, what are your distractions? And what needs to change? Here's the thing about distractions. They're hard to change. Why? Because we tend to be distracted by the things we like and love. And so as you think about your life today and you think about what it is that's distracting you, and, and I want to speak to us as adults because here's the reality of the way that God's designed it. What's distracting us is distracting our family. And it doesn't intend to be that way, but that's exactly what happens. That what becomes a distraction to us as parents, as adults, as leaders, tends to become a distraction. It funnels itself down. Parents, I want you to think about this statistic and then I'm going to be done. Dr. Richard Ross out of Southwestern Seminary began to do some research and some groups began to do some research. Like, like, what do we see in trends of children who grow up and follow after the Lord? So here's an interesting thing that they found out. They had what they called first chair Christians. And, and a first chair Christian was a faithful servant of the Lord. I mean, this mom and dad grew up taking their kids to church, but they lived it. It wasn't just a hobby. It wasn't just a duty. I mean, it was just evident. They served. They loved the Lord. And so guess what the majority of first chair Christians raised? First chair Christians. Second chair Christians were marginal. It means that they attended when it was convenient. You know, they probably gave some money. We're, 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 we're invested in some things, but but just weren't fully sold out and committed. And then there were the third chair Christians by which they said, we're even using the word Christian loosely. It's people who attend casually. Maybe they come on holidays. Maybe they come when there's a big thing going on. And so what they found was that the third chair Christians raised exactly what? Third chair children. Kids who grew up and had little desire for the Lord and didn't have much to do. Just, it was just convenient to them. Here was the interesting thing about the study. Guess what second chair Christian parents raised? 
Well, you'd automatically say, well, I bet second chair Christians, right? No, they didn't. They raised third chair Christian children. Because here's what their children learn. It really wasn't that important. And here's what I think they learned as I think about this passage. It wasn't that these other things were a distraction from church. It was that church was a distraction from the other things. Think about that, right? In their mind, what they grew up understanding was the important thing was this other stuff. And then every now and then church service, that kind of thing became the distraction to what we're really about. And as such, when they grew up, they made the logical choice of, well, who needs that? Mom and dad, adults in this congregation, we are mimicking, or we are setting the tone right now for future generations. And if we're going to be distracted and be all about religion and all about serving and doing but not loving the Lord, guess what we're going to do? No wonder what's going to happen when we raise the next generation that finds very little benefit in the things of God. But if we will set an example and tone today in the life of our congregation where we say Jesus is our portion, He is our life, He is what we cling to, He's what we want forever, then guess what? The future generations will grow up seeing a group of people who love, desire the Lord, and our prayer would be that God would continue that in their life. So when was the last time you spent present time in the presence of the Lord and what are the distractions that are getting in your way and what do you need to repent of this morning in order to get your life back in alignment with what Jesus wants for us we're going to pray the altar is going to be open there will be those up here who would be happy to pray with you there are those in the back who would love to visit with you and pray with you with any questions that you might have but this time is a time just to deal with the Lord Father in heaven reveal and remove the distractions from our life. Father, would you give us a desire and a heart to see Jesus as the greatest thing that would never be taken from us. God, that we would desire to spend time in his presence. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?